Welcome to MoFo Perspectives, a podcast by Morrison and Forrester, where we share the perspectives of our clients, colleagues, subject matter experts, and lawyers. Thanks so much for joining the Impactful Conversation podcast series, where we are very pleased to discuss how successful impact investors and companies achieve both positive, measurable social and environmental impact alongside financial return. My name is Suze McCormick, and I'm a corporate partner at MoFo in San Francisco and have dedicated most of my career to working with companies, investors, and NGOs as they try to find creative ways to address the most pressing issues of our day, particularly climate, with corporate structure and form. I also chair our energy and social enterprise impact investing practices. And most importantly, I get to work with fabulous people like Andrew McIntosh at the March Fund. Andrew is one of the co-founders of the fund that is doing cutting edge investment and support for companies and focusing on both financial returns and impact. And I want him to describe a little bit first about himself and uh, the March Fund. So Andrew, what is the March Fund's investment thesis? How do you guys blend impact with returns? Hey, Suze, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to join you today and be part of the good work that you and the team at MoFo do. We've enjoyed working with you guys and appreciate your support of impact investing and helping make the world a better place. You asked about my background. I'm an Australian, but was educated in the Midwest of the US. Uh, I call Hong Kong home for about 20 years now. Originally, I was a banker, but I've been in private equity as an investor and practitioner for about 12 years now. Currently, I'm the COO and CFO of the March Fund, a deep tech fund, and we're focused on the development of food and health solutions that support the sustainable food supply chain and optimize health outcomes. It's a concept we call Food 3.0. For the March Fund, Suze, purpose and impact were built in at the very start. The partners wanted to create a fund to deliver investment returns alongside healthier, more globally sustainable outcomes for the planet. As more and more developing countries move to a more Western, high-carbohydrate, high-protein diet, food sustainability becomes an increasingly difficult challenge. It's difficult to see how the planet or the environment could survive another billion or so beef eaters, or equally how medical systems could cope with 100 or 200 million adult type 2 diabetes sufferers were those countries to reach similar levels of incidence as we've seen in the US. So for the March Fund, you asked about our investment thesis. We're looking at food technologies that can deliver scalable solutions on a sustainable basis. And when I say sustainable, I mean sustainable in the personal and nutritional sense, in the healthcare sense. They've got to be environmentally sustainable for the planet over the longer term. Well, thanks, Andrew. That's that's helpful in sort of framing the March Fund. I started focusing on food and ag really because they are one of the big three when you In 2001, when I started seeing climate and the environmental degradation of the planet, um, particularly on climate and carbon, they're really sort of three major sectors that account for about 95% of emissions. Ag is one, transportation is another, and obviously energy. I, I know you have roots in the energy sector, but I'd really like to understand kind of your path to the sector. How did you land where you are today? Yeah, I think our path has been really sort of brought into the public limelight over the past few years. 
The partners have years of food technology and innovation experience, way before, beyond, and impossible put food tech in the public lexicon. They've spent their careers in food innovation with some of the world's biggest food companies and food investors. We were an early food tech fund, and with that innovation comes the burden of educating investors and markets of what exactly food tech is. Today, we're a respected player in a growing space. We're seeing more food technologies come to the market, buoyed by the knowledge there's an expanding pool of capital available to support a growing technology company across their different growth stages. And the growing market demand, the, presumably the, the increased focus by consumers on alternatives and by, you know, sort of our large companies and, and particularly with COVID-19 at looking at doing things differently or the expression right now in, in a lot of companies in the U.S. is build back better. How do we take our systems that are not robust and will not last the next 10 or 20 years and, and restructure them? And I know the March Fund and the capital you're providing is is sort of at the forefront of that, of really enabling these companies to affect the change that we need. So with that in mind, uh, what is the next big thing for you in the March Fund? I know you talked about food 3.0. Maybe you could start by taking us back and explaining what one and two are, and then kind of where, what is encompassed, what is the most exciting thing that you're seeing in, in food 3.0? Sure, sure. I think COVID-19 has been something we haven't seen anything like it for 100 years. And it's one of the things that is probably not getting much press at the moment, and quite rightly. But the way it's exposed the fragility and frailty of our food supply chains, and I think that brings us, that creates, it's exposed how it can be improved, and some of the areas that we really should be tackling. Food 3.0, it's broadly I think of food 1.0 as the industrialization of agriculture in the 19th century, where we moved from an agrarian society. Food 2.0 was the globalization of those food supply chains with supermarkets all through the 20th century, where now you, you didn't have to live near your food. You could live miles away, and towards the end of the 20th century, you could live continents away and still access food reasonably and reliably. Food 3.0 which we think has barely begun, is sustainable food production and feeding into a reliable and safe food supply chain. It isn't providing mass food, but providing personalized nutrition solutions. And the test to food 3.0 is that ultimately a food 3.0 scenario is one that results in aggregate health improvement rather than deterioration. And I think that's an important distinction. In order to give effect to that, there's a range of things I've just touched on there. It means a change in the early supply chains, what happens on farm, what happens off farm, what happens in processing and manufacturing, what happens in distribution and safety. And then finally, what happens at the consumer level, the way consumers choose to consume food. And we predict a future that will be individually personalized for each person. We've got to invest across all these stages in the supply chain across a range of technologies. There's no silver bullet here. To give your listeners an example, we've recently invested in a company that makes alternate chicken and steak from fermented mushrooms. The interesting thing for us is that under the right conditions, mushrooms grow like fungus, if you'll pardon the pun. We believe that these sorts of technologies will become an increasingly important part of food 3.0. We have a list of other technologies with similar promise, but since we haven't closed all those deals yet, I'll save the rest of the list for next time. 
You'll, you'll keep us guessing at what comes next. So one of the things I'm seeing, particularly in food, they were the first adopters, is some creativity in co- corporate form. This is mainly with the portfolio companies setting up public charities on the side that can take donations to buy food at cost and then distribute it, which obviously saves jobs and helps meet food insecurity. And also sort of dual function of some of the companies focusing on on health and nutrition in addition to revenue generation. As a fund, I know you're cutting edge on the investment side. Are you focused on any creative solutions or vehicles for investment? Well, Suze, I'd say most of the structures we use are fairly standard structures so as to be acceptable to industry participants, both portfolio companies and investors. We're not pushing the envelope in in that area, Um, I guess with one exception. In each of our term sheets, we have a mission information clause that requires the portfolio company to agree to provide us with data relating to the impact they're having in their particular space. We aggregate this data at the fund level to then do a fund-wide mission impact analysis. So we can see how we're tracking impact-wise. For us, it's a key data point right alongside our IRRs and financial returns. That's great. And as you and I have discussed before, sort of the, it used to be an art. It is becoming a science of kind of what you measure, how you measure, how you benchmark and how you report is improving all the time. A lot of these measures, the impact, you know, are, are much more difficult than financial returns to measure, but you guys I know are, are leading the charge in terms of figuring out how to do it on a, you know, an effective basis. So not measuring everything, but really measuring sort of the key variables that can drive impact and returns. So another key element is obviously IP. Tell me a little bit about, you know, how you view IP and its importance in your investment thesis. So since we're, we view ourselves as tech investors first and foremost, so for us, the IP is critical. Um, there are lots of companies out there with recipes uh, as opposed to protectable, defendable IP. And there's nothing wrong with those companies, but we focus on companies where they do have some protectable and defendable IP. For us, the IP is a valuable balance sheet item, and we work with our portfolio companies to help them leverage and exploit and capture the gains uh, that can be had from that IP. That may be, for example, in a licensing solution. It may be you know, in a production solution. The way that we exploit the IP can vary from company to company, but that's the angle that we're always looking at. So I guess that differentiates us a little bit from a straight consumer product investor where we're simply looking for product that we think will resonate. In order to get our, our attention, it needs to do more than just resonate with with consumers. There needs to obviously, as we've talked about already, be the, the the impact on health outcomes and the planet. That's a dimension we look at, and then the the IP dimension as well is one that we uh, give uh, a lot of weight to. Understood. We talked a little bit about COVID nineteen earlier. We didn't talk about the economic situation, and we do have this where this very interesting place where we have our stock market doing one thing, the economy doing something else, and then the pandemic doing something else altogether and sort of impacting each country differently. Um, I know in Hong Kong, it's very different even from Singapore, which is different from China, which is different from the US on all three of those variables. 
as an investor, how do you handle that? Are you still investing? Are you spending your time managing companies so they can survive the pandemic? As I think you are in a space that will probably be more robust as a result of this period of, of uncertainty. But tell me a little bit about kind of what you're seeing and how you're handling it. Yeah, obviously, the current economic situation is like nothing we've seen in our lifetimes. Uh, capital markets effectively frozen. We're starting to see some distressed activity in the market now. Broadly, the capital markets will thaw quickly, uh, I guess, you know, from, from here on out. There'll certainly be some pent-up demand from early-stage companies needing cash, and that'll provide some distressed opportunities for cashed-up buyers. We'll probably look at those opportunities, but we're not a special situations fund, so we'll focus on our usual investment filters, team, technology, timing, terms, to ensure we're sticking to our thesis. Having said all of that, earlier stage companies are more vulnerable to cash crunches. Um, I expect the market will emerge from its current hibernation with a hunger for early stage deals first. For us, we invest across the capital stack, so we'll resist the distressed bias, I guess, and, and continue to evaluate opportunities on their merits across the stack. Having said that, I think there's a general industry-wide opportunity to acquire more of a company when the valuations are suppressed. I think the market will move to a, a low valuation bias, look at deals with slightly lower valuations or distress or deals with pent-up exit overhang positions. We've started to see some of that, although I would add that fortunately in our particular space, in the food technology space, valuations seem to be holding up pretty well at the moment. We're not seeing, uh, other than a few, you know, some bridging cash type structures, we're really not seeing sort of the deep distress you're seeing in, in other sectors at all. If we're technology investors, so our primary focus investing on the right teams, you know, with the technologies that can make the impact. And then, you know, we're looking at the timing and the terms, I guess, of the, you know, that are affected more by the economic cycles. Understood. So if you had a crystal ball, what would you see as sort of next for food point three point or put another way, what what are, you know, aspirationally, what do you think we need most that you would you would invest in? Uh, well, with a crystal ball, I, I guess, you know, make investing a lot easier. I think our investors would hopefully like to see more of the types of companies we've got in our portfolio that should make them happy and us happy. Um I think at the moment, the portfolio seems to be performing well. That's uh, a result, obviously, of both the, the, our approach to investing, but also the sector itself seems to be holding up quite well. You know, people at home cooking more with more health conscious at the moment. All of these sort of factors uh, are playing into it as well. Stepping back from where we are, you know, we believe Food 3.0 is sort of the beginning. And if you think of Silicon Valley in the 1990s or the 2000s, the companies that were the biggest returners then, many of them aren't around or unrecognizable, like Netscape, AOL, Yahoo, Novell. So, you know, we're looking for the Hewlett Packards, the Apples, the Microsofts, those companies that master the ability to invent, uh, invent commercialize, grow, and then repeat those technological advances rather than those that are one tech wonders. You know, I guess everyone's looking for that. So to give your listeners an example, we're especially interested in enzymes in the precision nutrition space. There's an emerging wave of enzyme-based companies that will deliver products that act on the microbiome or the gut to bring about a range of health outcomes. 
many listeners will be familiar with Yakult, the small milky lactobacillus bacteria drink that enhances digestion. We think Yakult's a good start, but the coming decade we'll see a range of microbiome products hit the market, many of them customizable to a person's specific need. So final question for you, Andrew, what advice do you have for individual or companies who really are, are coming out of this? They have some ideas, but they really want to have a, a positive impact, particularly in this food 3.0 space. Yeah, that's a good question, Suze. Impact investing isn't for the faint-hearted. Uh, it's much easier to create and market a fund with a sole aim of outsized returns for investors. Uh, the inevitable questions come up, you know, how much return am I sacrificing for the impact? And you'll need to be able to answer those sorts of questions clearly and compellingly. And if you can't, you'll struggle attracting your savvy investors. I guess the other challenge is being able to demonstrate your proof points. Which ESG standards are you following? How will you report your impact assessment? What's the cost of that? What does impact success even look like? There are a range of questions to answer, and your impact strategy needs to be clearly thought through. Uh, there's no doubt the manager certainly bears a range of the mostly unrecoverable costs in running an impact fund versus a regular fund. But having said all of that, you know, the rewards outweigh the costs when done properly. There's growing demand for impact investment vehicles from investors, and there are other in benefits like recruitment tailwinds, I guess you'd call it. Then there's always the chance that you know you'll pull this off and get to claim a small piece of the credit for playing a role in making the world a better place. I think you know for me though, Sue's you know it, it's it's a it's a personal thing. You know the pride of overhearing my teenage daughter inaccurately claim that her dad is solving world hunger uh, can't be completely overlooked either. But those moments are very few and far between. Exactly. I, I agree. My, my teenage sons will say, mom, saving the world by changing the corporate form. And that usually uh, leads to sort of blank stares from their audience, but that's okay. <laughs> um, Andrew, it's a, it was a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you so much for joining as a leader in this space and in impact investing and, and really one of the first funds to focus in this space and on impact out of Hong Kong. So thank you for, for your leadership and for really helping to educate both us and, and really the world of the importance of the emerging food technologies and the impact, the positive impact that they can have on all of us from an economic and a health and an environmental perspective, all three. So thank you. Uh, we are really honored that you were here. And um, if, if our listeners want more information about our impact investing practice and or additional resources, because we open source a lot of the work that we do so that we can help many more companies other than just our clients, uh, please visit our Impact Resource Center and blog. Both will be linked to the podcast description below and make sure you subscribe to Impactful Conversation Podcast so you don't miss an episode. Thank you, Andrew. We'll talk soon. Thank you. I uh, appreciate uh, talking to you. Please make sure to subscribe to the MoFo Perspectives podcast so you don't miss an episode. If you have any questions about what you heard today or would like more information on this topic, please visit mofo.com slash podcasts. Again, that's mofo, M-O-F-O dot com slash podcasts.